up everybody it's rewatch wednesday that means we are going to spend most of this show going over the tape of the lions game what went wrong and honestly what went right there's a lot of positives to look at too we also have to talk a little bit about what's in the news cycle with dalvin cook and uh, his allegations litigation all that there's some new developments there we'll go over as well here on the lockdown Vikings podcast <laughs> You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal in the Katie Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today, on the show. First off, thank you so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day. And also, On Location is the official hospitality partner of the NFL. It's the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Visit onlocationexp.com sb56 for more information or search Super Bowl On Location. Uh, today on the show, we're going to spend a lot of the show talking about film um, and like what I saw on the tape and some interesting things that I guess were thematic of the Lions loss. And I guess maybe how they can fix some of that stuff. We'll talk a little about Kenny Wongu as well. But first, I got to talk about the other running back, uh, Dalvin Cook. So sometime on Wednesday, uh, the court filings were made available to the public on uh, Dalvin Cook's countersuit, basically, to the one that was filed against him in November. There's some additional information in that that I guess is worth going over. But first, a, a quick word that everything we know basically about this has been some sourced reporting from people close to the situation, uh, but most of it has come in court filings from either one side of the story or the other. And it's pretty important, I think, to listen to both sides, especially in a he said, she said situation, not where it's, you know, I accused him of abusing me and he said he didn't do it, but both parties are accusing each other of being an abuser. Men can be victims too here and we have to respect that. But that doesn't mean to just like throw out the entire other side of the case, right? I don't think anybody's doing that. I think if you read uh, Sergeant Trimble's allegations and her court filings and all the evidence he puts forth or she puts forth and you read Dalvin Cook's equivalent side and everything he puts forth and, and all of the information in that, I think you get a pretty solid picture from doing that. And I think if you only wanted to read one side or the other, you'd probably be doing yourself a disservice. So that's all I ask. This is information coming from biased sources. And if you have information biased one way and information biased another way, you can compare them and, and come up with something. I won't bog you down too much in the details, but the information that comes out on this side um, from, from Dalvin Cook's side, I think what's important is there is an affidavit from Dalvin Cook's grandma, Betty, and uh, his grandmother says that she had like a really close relationship with Sergeant Trimble and some information that came out there that contextualizes the whole thing, as well as like some texts and social media and stuff that you can kind of tell the type of case that Dalvin Cook's camp is building about her being dangerous and, and an abuser and also exploitative and like after Dalvin Cook's money and all of that stuff. Um, that compared to Sergeant Trimble's allegations from November that Dalvin Cook was violent and hurt her and there was a his they both accuse each other of there being a history of abuse. It's a very messy thing. And as Vikings fans, we don't need to get to the bottom of it ourselves. We don't need to play Nancy Drew and be sleuths here. I think what we want to know, what we all want to know here is will Dalvin Cook play? We're Vikings fans, we want to know if our favorite team's player is going to be there, right? And 
basically the way I understand it with the NFL, and this has always been the case, nothing changes. If there is a criminal proceeding, a criminal indictment that allows uh, the NFL to put somebody on the commissioner's exemplist actually just came out, uh, for example, that Deshaun Watson is probably going to be put in front of uh, Deshaun Watson's case will be put in front of a grand jury around like January. And if there's an indictment there, Deshaun Watson goes on the exempt list. Then if there isn't one, then he probably doesn't, right? If the, the jury throws the case out or whatever. Same thing with Jeff Gladney. He went on the commissioner's exempt list the second there was an indictment, and that's what spurred the Vikings to cut him like when they did. That's why the timing was the way it was. So there's not going to be an indictment or any criminal proceeding here because both parties have elected to go the civil route. And because there's so much he said, she said to it, and it's a very messy situation, it's a very... Uh, difficult situation to kind of toe the line and, and navigate PR wise, the NFL's not going to get involved. That's the dark truth of the NFL. They don't care about actually doling out justice or whatever. And maybe that shouldn't be their job, right? They're just somebody's employer. They're not like an authority of an arbiter of moral justice. They're not a government body. So maybe that's appropriate. But either way, they're going to do what the PR is. And in a messy situation like this, the PR move, I think, is to just kind of stay out of it. So I think they're going to stay out of it. And then someday all of this will get quietly settled and that'll be that. Um, so if you want to look at all of the details and go into the evidence and all that stuff, it's all public record. I'll give you a link. You just go to the Dakota County like record lookup website. There's a case number. Um, I'll, I'll give you all that in the show notes if you want. But for now, let's move on to some of the tape because obviously there is a oh my god what happened thing this team insisted it was a playoff a super bowl contender said don't count us out don't count us out and then they lost the lines and i think the first thing i want to talk about is just how jared goff produced so much in that first half those passes to the tight end over the middle over and over and over and over again what happened there and basically what happened there if you want to just blame somebody it's troy die and nick vigil um just played things a little too deep um, but to go a little bit deeper into the weeds, um, the Vikings and a, a lot of defenses now use something called robot technique. Um, it means roll over and back. I don't know what the OT is, but I guess if you call it Rob technique, it could get mixed up with robber. So I guess they had to come up with a different word. It's called robot technique. Robot means uh, you roll over and then you go back. So you come up, play the run, um, flow with the run, do your run responsibility first until it is it's a, a response to play action so when there's a play action fake you play the run first just bite on it it's okay and it's actually a technique you drill and rehearse to be able to turn around use that momentum and get back very quickly so you roll over and back and then you can back off into um an underneath zone and robbing crossers and stuff like that and the way you do it is you take your steps toward the run, but when you're roboting, you can't get too deep. You can't crash all the way up into the A-gap because then you have too much space to cover. So the key to roboting is spacing. You don't want to go too deep into the, the line of scrimmage. You don't want to run all the way up to the line of scrimmage because then when you have to go back, you have that much further to go. And that was the mistake that chiefly Troy Dye made. I thought Nick Vigil didn't do a great job of it, but Troy Dye was worse. Basically, he would take too many steps deep, and he is pretty athletic. He has some pretty good speed, but he doesn't 
have superhuman athleticism, so he couldn't get back, and that opened a big space over the middle, and then the Lions would be running like a post or something, and Jared Goff could hit it with a shot over the middle. Um, and they did that over and over and over. They just kept on punishing that, and it's just a technique thing that Troy Dye does not have down yet. And Troy Dye is playing a lot faster than he did last year, but he's not instinctually correct. And that's a, a, a part of the developmental process. You go from thinking to playing on instinct, but a lot of times you play on instinct before those instincts are ready to be trusted. So you end up going very, very quickly to the wrong place. And Troy Dye did that a lot. Barr and Kendricks both practicing now in preparation for this short week. So it looks like we're going to get those guys back. So hopefully this won't continue to be a problem. But that was the first thing. I also want to talk about uh, Kenny Wongu and also just sort of some general problems with coverage and stuff like that. Um, but first, Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away, and On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL, is the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com sp56 for more information or search Super Bowl On Location. That's onlocationexp.com sp B56, or you can just search Super Bowl on location. I also want to talk to you about Grambling. BetOnline.ag, your number one spot for all sports action this season, has a new and updated website, new player prop stuff, new live betting. Just head on over to BetOnline.ag, sign up, and you can receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You can get a 50% welcome bonus. That is half match, whatever your first deposit is. From basketball, football, NHL, MMA, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline has you covered. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now... Let's talk a little bit about um, Ken A. Wongu because there was a lot of talk uh, with a lot of different people. I got a lot of mailbag questions. Why is it Wongu getting more play? It's every time you get a kick return touchdown, right? Why weren't you getting that at, at running back? I remember a particular interaction with uh, Ted, Ted Glover, who writes at Daily Norseman, who was really, really convinced that, you know, look, it's just the coach is being stubborn. He's clearly athletic. He clearly knows what to do with the ball in his hands. He's explosive and dynamic. Get the ball in his hands. Let's do something. Um, And my point was kind of like football is more precise than that. It's not backyard where you just pitch it to the guy and let him go be shifty, right? Um, There's a lot more precision to football than that. And if you can't be precise and if you aren't uh, feeling it, playing on instinct, then you're going to cause more problems than you solve. And that was kind of my deal was like, and you can see that in practice, if he's not making the right reads, if he's not running routes at the right depth, if he's not doing pass protection correctly, which Mike Zimmer called out, like he can't go on the field. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care if you're the flash. You got to know where to go. All that said, Wangu got a career high nine snaps in this game. The number's going up and he's getting more ready. I would say that is evidence of. Um, but in this game against the Lions, Wangu experienced some problems. I wrote a piece at Zone Coverage that will come out sometime Wednesday about this. And uh, the gist of the piece is a kick returners are not automatically good running backs. Um, and I actually cited Cordero Patterson on that, who gave it, did a player's tribune piece in 2017 when he was already pretty much established as one of the greats, right. as a kick returner. And he kind of talked about how you can get ahead of steam. You can pick your lane, you can hit holes before they close. And then how punts are too quickly are, are too quick. There's kind of a guy on you right away. So you're making moves immediately. You can't exactly hit holes and lanes and stuff as easily. Um, And I think running plays are even faster than punting plays. They 
develop very quickly and you have to find your holes before they close in, you know, in an instant. It's a similar thing. I mean, I talked about this a lot when I was talking about Alexander Madison, um, who had a great game, by the way. Uh, credit where it's due. I've been really hard on him. He was really nice. to had a great blitz pickup. I thought his vision was really good. He played like himself. He didn't just try to be Dalvin Cook part two. He played like the thumper and the hard-nosed, you know, physical running back that he is. I thought it was a much better performance for him. But back to Wongu, um, you have to be able to see things. And if you go back to his like draft evaluation, uh, like Dane Brugler's va- draft evaluation of him, who does this for The Athletic, said things like he doesn't have patience. He's kind of, he's like a, your, your typical fast running back that wants to home run everything. Um, he's, it's like when you play Madden with, and you don't know not to sprint right away when you get the ball, not to hit sprint right away. And the reason for that is that blocks take a minute to develop. And if you're really fast, you can run right past your blocker before he's actually had time to set up his blocks. So you have to be a little patient. And we saw that we saw a play where Kenny Wongu is a, a, ended up being a holding penalty on Tyler Conklin, because instead of, um, like setting up his block, he, and instead of, you know, finding the gap and sort of slowly working his way to it at a controlled speed, Wongu just went f- fast and then, uh, Conklin's block was struggling. So he cuts outside the block and then he cut into an angle where the struggle block from Tyler Conklin then suddenly turned into hands outside the shoulder pads, total holding call. Um, whereas it probably wouldn't have been that way if Kenny Wongu stayed behind Tyler Conklin, he wouldn't have had to hold. And then he could have been able to kind of controlled work his way up to, uh, the gap that was actually setting up very nicely. He just didn't wait for it. So there's a patience issue. There's a recognition issue of, um, you know, just spacing himself and finding the right place to run toward and being able to hit those lanes on, uh, there was a jet sweep that was to him, which I think is a fine call jet sweep to him in the first, uh, first drive, the first quarter. And, uh, there was just a huge lane that he didn't hit because he didn't quite follow his blocking properly. He just went to the edge and it's a greedy kind of college running back mentality that a lot of young running backs do. And it's costing the Vikings plays to put him out there. So I can kind of sympathize with not wanting to do that. Um, and then of course there's some issues. There were the issues in pass protection. He didn't have, I don't think any pass protection reps. Um, but so it didn't really come up in this one, but he did run a route at the wrong depth and that ruined a play. So, like, that is sort of ruining the Kene Wongu thing. Um, great kick returner and all that. That's still awesome. Uh, but I kind of get not wanting to put him out at, at, at running back until he can get some of those basic mechanics down. I'm not talking about feeling live game speed stuff. There are certain things you kind of can only get with live game reps. I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about just having like being comfortable with the basic coaching points of playing running back at the NFL level and being able to run routes at the right depth and do pass protection and stuff. That's stuff that's going to take a little bit of work and getting him out of that college mentality is a a big part of that. Um, I look very much forward to what happens when he does, because at at a certain point, the game's going to slow down for this kid and then it's going to be absolutely electric. And I'm super excited for that. Uh, But he's not there yet. That's okay. We can wait for that. I got a whole bunch of other uh, like scattered film thoughts that I want to share with you. But first, let's talk a little bit about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. It's the holiday season and Built Bar is filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in 100% chocolate, low in calories, sugar, net carbs and fat and high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. A bunch of delicious flavors like mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, and it'll help you fuel you up while you do your last minute Christmas shopping you absolutely procrastinated on. That's something that you do and I definitely don't do. Tell Santa to throw a few built bars in your stockings. Dip, dip a built bar into a piping hot 
hot cup of cocoa. And they even have some good marshmallowy flavors if you're looking to do that. Uh, it's they're, they're Built Bar Puffs. They're like these light, fluffy, marshmallowy ones. They're absolutely delicious. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off of your order. That's Built.com, promo code LOCKED15, you can get 15% off of your order at Built.com. So one of the interesting things that went on in this game was uh, the O-line configuration. Christian Derrissaw dealing with an ankle injury, still dealing with an ankle injury. He has not practiced all week. So the configuration ended up being Ole Udo kicking out to left tackle like he did in camp um, when Derrissaw was out and Rashad Hill was out. And then Ezra Cleveland, that left guard who had a rough game, unfortunately, he was really coming along, but this was a rough one. But I still don't hate the season on the whole. Um, Bradbury came back at center and then Mason Cole played right guard in place of Udo and then Brian O'Neill. The Bradbury-Cole combo was electric. They were awesome. They were, like, genuinely good. And even PFF agrees with me. There were a lot of really impressive run blocks, impressive pass blocking from Bradbury. Um, he, he played with an edge that you usually don't. He usually plays with, like, a mechanicalness, like a very refined kind of technique-y way. There was an edge to him in this one, and that was very good. Um, so great game from them. Ole Udo, not so much at left tackle. I think he was better there than he is at guard. Uh, but maybe that's just my preconceived bias of like wanting that to be true because it would make me right. But uh, either way, looking forward to Christian Derrissaw coming back and then maybe Ole Udo becomes like a swing backup and Mason Cole keeps the right guard job. I would love that. I don't know what they're considering. They're not going to tell us anything about that. Um, so we'll, I guess, just have to circle back to that. Um, I also want to talk about, uh, so Patrick Peterson on his podcast was getting a little bit of attention because he called out, I'm doing air quotes on the YouTube if you're watching the, the video version. Um, he, I guess, called out Cam Dantzler for, uh, his, for what happened on the last play. But don't, if you see like, is there drama in the locker room? Are they fighting or like anybody trying to drum up drama out of this? Cause I know people will, uh, don't believe that go listen to the, the quote. You can find it on my timeline. I'll link it in the show notes if I remember to, but basically the story was after the game, Cam Dantzler reached out to Patrick Peterson, who was inactive for the game, watching it from home. Um, he's cause he was on the COVID list, which he's off by the way, he was activated off the COVID list. Um, but Cam Dantzler then texted Patrick Peterson to say, Hey, like, what did I do wrong? And Patrick Peterson said, you, played too far in the end zone and then kind of explained what he meant by that, that basically, look, they can't go deep on you. So you don't have to give any cushion, Pl plant your heels on the goal line, defend the goal line. And if they go deep on you, you know, they can only go 10 yards deep on you they're, they're They can't punish you for that. So play on the goal line and Cameron Dancer didn't do that. Um, and it's just one of those coaching point things that he has to work on. Um, I, I think it's a completely legitimate thing. And honestly, I like that Patrick Peterson will say that in the public. I know it sounds like, oh, are you airing your dirty laundry in public? It seems kind of unprofessional, blah, blah, blah. I love that. Please tell me more about like technique things that people did wrong. And maybe we can try to be chill about it one time in our entire lives by saying, I mean, look, how cool would it be if a coach could come to the podium and be like, oh, yeah, the technique problem was that like this. And now we're going to work on that with him. Um, and then people wouldn't see view that as one player or coach throwing another person under the bus or whatever other cliche you want to use for it. I think that's really cool. Um, but basically, uh, in the immediate recap to the game, my assessment of that play was that Cameron Dantzler, the final play of the game where, where the Lions scored the final touchdown, was that Cameron Dantzler played too far off 
too deep in the end zone. I think that was pretty obvious to see, but also that Xavier Woods was late to uh, to react. Patrick Peterson didn't talk about Xavier Woods at all in his assessment of it, and he knows the calls and stuff. So that makes me kind of think it was like solely uh, Dantzler's fault, although he didn't like say Woods was exonerated. He just didn't bring it up. So maybe he just wasn't thinking about it because he was, wasn't asked about Xavier Woods. I, I still think Xavier Woods could have reacted a little quicker, broken on that ball quicker, but mostly it was Cam Dantzler giving up too much space. That's what happened. But on that that drive, I, I might just need to rant about the same thing that I ranted about before, where like Dantzler and all of the defenders were playing way too far off. And that's a coaching point. Basically, they spent that entire drive outside of a, a handful of plays and the one blitz that almost led to an interception that they never blitzed again on the whole game after that, which is baffling. But otherwise, they basically stayed in Tampa 2, which is cover 2, two deep safeties, a, a linebacker playing like a deep middle to, to cover the seam and the deep post and stuff like that, and everybody else playing underneath quote-unquote zones. But those underneath zones were 9, 10 yards off, which is the spots they were coached to drop to in two-minute situations and stuff. And that was a disaster because basically on all of it was like five to seven to nine or nine yard like something in there free yards every single time and the lions could either run up and spike it or run up and run a play or sometimes they would even be able to run like an outbreaking route and everything was so far off that players could just sort of fall out of bounds and that was it the vikings did not contest anything it wasn't guys getting open because they beat a defender on a route it was guys getting open because the defender was coached to let that happen and I, the Vikings might as well forfeit it. Like, that's the way that I put it on Twitter, and I stand by that. If you're going to play that passively and allow that much production in front of you, you might as well forfeit the game. It was really, really poorly called. And I think not the first fireable offense on the year for Mike Zimmer. Um, but I don't want to harp on it too much because I went on a whole damn thing on it on Monday. So instead, I guess I'll mention Sheldon Richardson, who has been really killing it from uh the from the edge rusher positions he's been awesome uh that's really cool he kind of only has one move and it's a bull rush or like a speed to power which turns into a bull rush but he's really good at it and he's also been really good in the run at like holding the edge and setting the edge or even like getting upfield on contain and stuff like that which i think i don't know it must just be a more comfortable thing for him that or maybe just a less comfortable thing for him and it's helping than playing on the inside because he can get trapped a lot um, he can get he he when he's on the inside, he wants to rush upfield and penetrate and go like be a crazy disruptor. And teams will take advantage of that by luring him upfield and then like trapping him. Um, but at edge rusher, it's like almost because he's a little less comfortable, he's a little less aggressive, and it like curbs his aggressiveness for him. I don't whatever it is, it's working. I like him at edge rusher, and that's really great because the Vikings need edge rushing help bad. Dalvin Tomlinson, Michael Pierce were absolutely the the sight for sore eyes that you expected them to be. Um, that really helped. On offense, um, I, I went pretty hard at Kirk on Monday. I, I think I take a decent amount of that back and pin it on Clint Kubiak instead. I, I don't like the way that Clint Kubiak's offense is constructed um, right now. I, I don't like the reliance on the naked bootlegs that are all figured out and stuff. They're, they're not the easy quick hitter that they used to be. I don't like that on third and long. He'll do isolated curl routes. Um, I, he did that a number of times and it always didn't work. Um, I don't like the way that his routes interact with the other elements of the play, the protection, the drop back, all that stuff. I don't think right now, I don't think Clint Kubiak is calling plays that work in tandem with each other. He is calling a combination of stuff 
it's a pile of things. It's not an offense, and 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 that really bothers me. It's something I, I guess I should go in more depth on on a on a show when I can really spend my time with it. Um, but you know, I mean, we just spent yesterday talking about new coaching staff and stuff. I have a hard time with the idea of Clint Kubiak being the offensive coordinator again. I don't want to like fire him midseason. I don't think that would really do anything or help or fix anything. Um, but I want a, a new offense to be installed next year. I think it's time to really go try to build an offense with a purpose. You have personnel. You've got uh, some pieces of an O-line. You've got a good skill core that's pretty versatile. Run an offense with somebody that knows what they're doing next time. Um, and I, I think honestly, coaching just had so much more to do with this loss than players did. And that's really unfortunate because the Vikings have some pretty good players and we're wasting them. So on that upper of a note, <laughs> uh, we'll talk tomorrow It'll be crossover Thursday. We'll get Christopher Carter on here. Uh, he does locked on Steelers. So we'll, we'll chat with him a little bit and then we'll, uh, preview the Steelers. We'll do your bold predictions and all that, and then we'll enjoy the Steelers game. So we'll see you tomorrow is game day, baby. I will see you then. In the meantime, check out the Locked On Bets podcast. Your boy Q, handicapping expert Lee Sterling. They'll help you get your grambles straight. Till then, I will see you tomorrow. And as always, skull.